Blog Talk Radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Poetry Superhighway Live. My name is Rick Lupert. I'm the MC of the show. Good to have you with us today. It's a special edition of Poetry Superhighway Live. Our, typically, we have a monthly open reading in which I, anyone is invited to call in and read a poem, and we we, uh, we will be continuing that uh, in August. We just had our last one a couple of weeks ago. The next one is August 11th, but today is a special edition of the show. We just launched our... Is it 15th or 16th? I forget already. Uh, we just launched our, let's just say, annual, and that'll be accurate enough, poetry contest that's either 15 or 16 years old. And today I'll be having a conversation with our three poetry contest judges, Maggie Westlin, Bill Doresky, uh, and Lisette Alonzo. Before we get to them, I want to let you know a little bit about the contest and some other things going on with Poetry Superhighway. First of all, uh, this broadcast is now six years old. We started our blog talk radio program uh, six years ago, with, and our very first broadcast was, in fact, the conversation I had at the time with the contest judges for that year. So it's gone on quite a while, a monthly show uh, with an open reading, various special shows that have happened. So happy birthday to Poetry Superhighway Live, and thanks for tuning in and helping us celebrate it. Um, as I mentioned, our next show will be on August 11th. It'll be our open reading in which anyone will be uh, welcome to call in and share a poem, as we do every month. And then uh, that'll go on in, in September and October as well. And then save the date in particular if you're interested in entering the contest, because on Sunday, October 20th at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time, and I specifically say Pacific Time as opposed to Pacific Daylight or Pacific Standard because... I always forget which one it actually is. Anyway, on Sunday, October 20th at Pacific Time, 2 o'clock p.m., we'll be announcing here on Poetry Superhighway Live the winners of the contest first. So that's a very cool thing. That's uh, that's a show which which uh, tends to be our, our largest in terms of listenership. Uh, and if you want to be the very pers- first person to know who won our contest, then this is the... Uh, this is the date you want to save. Um, also, I just want to remind anyone who's listening that in addition to these shows that we do on Poetry Superhighway Live, uh, we are open to your show ideas. If you have a particular event that you think would be cool for our audience, uh, an interview of a particular poet, um, a different kind of show that's related to poetry that uh, that I couldn't even tell you what an example of would be because it's something that's in your head, send me an email to rick at poetrysuperhighway.com and I'd be more than happy to uh, to find a time for, for you to do that show. So there you go. Um, all right, so we've just started the contest. Um, as you may know, uh, the way it works... Is this uh, we uh, there's a there's a form online with all of the contest guidelines that you should check out. But the basic info is this: uh, we charge a dollar per poem entry fee. You uh, you fill out the form online and then you email your poems and then you send in the entry fee either via PayPal or via a check through the mail. Once I receive your entry fee, then I will send your poems off to the contest judges, and they will uh, not have your name included. So all three of the contest judges who are from different parts of the United States will see your poems uh, blindly, as it were. That is, they will be able to see them with their eyes, but your name will be removed. So any particular batch of poems that they receive might have poems from several poets who sent them in over the course of that day or the last couple of days. Uh, or it could be a batch of poems from one person. They they don't know. They don't know. They will score your poems between zero and five points, and they will send back the scores to me. Uh, at the end of the contest, we will uh, at the end of the scoring period, we'll see who has risen to the top. And typically, what happens is 
there are ties for the top three scoring positions. Maybe it's just a tie for second and third place or just a tie for first place or something like that. And we might have to do a second round of scoring, which would be a very brief round of scoring involving just a few poems. And at the end of that, we uh, determine who has won the contest. So three people will rise to the top, and those will be the winners of the contest. Uh, they will divide up the entry fees, so the winner of the contest will get half of the money taken in, the second place winner will get 30% of the money that was taken in, and the third place winner will receive 20% of the money taken in. In addition to that, and this is the really cool thing about our contest, every single year that we've had the contest, we have been able to give every single contest entrant a prize just for entering the contest. And we're able to do this because of the generosity of many, many people who we call sponsors. Um, right now, there are 33 people who have signed up to sponsor the contest, and they have donated um, a ton of different prizes, poetry books, um, subscriptions to different things, all kinds of things have been donated. So because of that, in addition to um, if you happen to win the contest, you'll get uh, the cash prize and various other things like being published as the winner, etc. Uh, but you'll get a book of poetry in the mail or you'll get a subscription to something just for entering. So it's very cool. And uh, it's kind of an, an equal opportunity contest in in that way. You really can't lose in one sense, for entering. I mean, technically, you could not win, but you can't actually lose, per se, if that makes sense. All right, so as we do every year, um, I've invited the contest judges to join me in a special conversation, and we have uh, with me two of the contest judges. Uh, we have Maggie Westland, who is uh, calling from Thousand Oaks, California. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Rick, and everybody else. And uh, hi, good to have you here. And also, um, we have Bill Dureski, who is calling from Peterborough, New Hampshire. Hi, Bill. Hi, Rick, and everybody else. I appreciate the uh, the equal opportunity greeting that you've given to the potential entire world who might be listening. Um, so, Lisette Alonzo is our third contest judge, and she um, has not called in yet, so I don't know if she's having technical difficulties or not, but hopefully she'll be able to call in before the uh, before the show is over so we can hear from her. Uh, but if not, I guess that means, Maggie and Bill, you get to be a little bit more long-winded in your answers. So, uh, look forward to that. So, um, uh, first of all, thank you so much to both of you for agreeing to judge this year's contest. I really appreciate it. It's fun. So far. Well, that's good. I know it's been a fairly uh, a light load at the beginning. We've had about a 30 contest entries so far sent your way. There's a ton more entries, just the payments haven't come in for those yet. Um, so it's been a, a fairly light workload. It tends to it tends to build, and during the last couple weeks of the con contest, it um, it gets a, a bit more intense, uh, I should say. So, um, so be prepared to hunker down at a certain point. Um, so, uh, let's see. Um, first uh, question I'd like to ask you guys: if you can tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, where you live, what you what you do for a living, and maybe um, how you how you came to poetry in your in your lives. Maggie, how about you? Well, as you said, I live in Thousand Oaks, California, and I was a physician, but I'm retired, and I'm looking for a job as Wonder Woman. <laughs> have, have you checked Craigslist? <laughs> no. They've got all kinds of job listings there. Uh. Yeah. Um, the other question was, how did I come into poetry? I think I started when my mother began to read to me instead of sing to me as a little tiny kid. I can remember a three-year-old or four-year-old listening to classics like Wordsworth and Shakespeare, and one that I remember the best is Sir Walter Scott, I think, and she read me, Oh, young Lochinvar has come out of the West, and all the wild kingdom his steed is the best. So wow. I got started early. And I won my first contest in eighth grade, and I got published in the newspaper at the school. And I'm Congratulations. Not... <laughs> Still at it. 
That's great. Okay, and um, and uh, Bill, how about you? Well, uh, as as you said, I live in New Hampshire and I teach at Keene State College. I've been there for umpteen years. And I wrote the first poem I ever wrote. I wrote in the fourth grade because our teacher made us. And but I still remember every word of that poem. Yeah. I didn't write anything for a long, long time until when I was in high school. In a bookshop, I picked up uh, two books that intrigued me. One was the old Samuel French Morse selection of Wallace Stevens. And the other was Alan Dugan's first book. And I was really intrigued by them. The Stevens I didn't particularly understand, but I really liked it. I'm not sure I still particularly understand Stevens, but I like him all the more for it. And the Dugan just seemed to me the plainest, most straightforward possible way of writing poetry I could imagine. I mean, it was immensely imaginative, but the, the language was so flat and simple and the diction so straightforward that I you know, I've never lost interest in that. So they were two really kind of kind of contrasting styles in those two books, um and you uh you, you found you know interest in both styles really. How would you would you compare yeah. would you where do you think your own style fits in between those those two? Well, I'm not sure my own style has a heck of a lot to do with either one of them at this point. But um the you know, by it was partly because uh, of the the differences between them that it made you know, that, that suggested to me that there are lots of possible ways of, of of writing poetry and thinking about poetry and reading poetry and you know, when you're in high school, you get a lot of poetry thrown at you that is, uh, you know, it's kind of the official canon. And because you have to read it, it may not it may not strike you as very exciting. There's a lot of emphasis on meter and rhyme and all those things that William Carlos Williams later teaches us are irrelevant. And, uh, you know, it just... And the fact that I liked Stevens's poetry so much without understanding it, to me that was a great liberation. That you don't have to understand it in some prose way; you can just like it. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're speaking to to something in particular, which is, you know. Uh, Almost killed poetry as as a form of entertainment for most people, um, you know, in the last I don't know, may, may, you know, forty, fifty years or so, uh, maybe maybe more. You know, there's, it seems to me there's a there's a resurgence of more a more modern poetry sensibility which younger people are discovering, which doesn't necessarily align itself with kind of the classics and the rhyme and and, and rhythm, etc., which which is what is in most people's mind when they think about poetry these days. I mean, most people don't really identify themselves as as readers of poetry. So, uh, uh, perhaps there's a right? absolutely. I think there's a double return back to the rhythm and rhyme, but we call it rap and we call it uh, music and we call it something else. But lyrical poetry exists in singers that the kids download every day and love. True. You're absolutely right. But then, you know, some might argue that that's not per se poetry and we we start getting into the the concept of spoken word versus, versus... page poetry which which I feel there's often when it's done right a great overlap in but but sometimes right. not not necessarily you know um since we've uh, started talking um it looks like Lisette has been able to call in so um welcome Lisette Alonzo Hi how are you sorry I'm I'm running a little behind I apologize I was having some technical um issues well, it looks like they got solved. So, welcome aboard. Um, we we were just actually in the very first question. Um, uh, you're you're on the line with uh, with your your fellow contest judges, Maggie Westland and Will and uh, Bill Doreski, uh, or William, if you're not uh, live in person with him. Um, so, Lisette, the first question was if you could tell us about yourself, where do you live, what you do for a living, and how you came to poetry. Um, well, I live in South Florida, basically just. Just north of Miami, the city of Miami. Um, 
What do I do? Right now I'm between being a stay-at-home mom and going back to school. I just uh, got my bachelor's from FAU, and I'm going to be starting my MFA at the University of Miami in the fall. So I guess student slash mom. <laughs> cool. And how did, how did you come to poetry? Which I realize um, is a big question. I don't know if I if I have like a precise answer really. It's just something that I've always I've always done or felt the impulse to do. And I've always just enjoyed it. Good enough for me. Um, all right, so all three of you entered the contest last year. Two of you scored in, in second and third place, and, and uh, Bill, you were so close in, in fourth place, probably by by a quarter of a point off from scoring in those top three scoring positions. Uh, so I wanted to ask you all specifically about your experience in last year's contest, in particular for people who might be considering entering this year's contest and who, you know, or who don't enter many contests. If you could if you could maybe speak to do you, do you enter many contests? Is there anything particular you would say about the Poetry Superhighway contest um and maybe also um what what prize did you receive for um entering? Let's see Maggie, you went first last time. Bill, how about you? Uh well, I did get a book I wish I could tell you what it was, but I forgot. I get so many books. I get a lot of review copies, so things tend to get kind of mixed up. Uh, I, I think I don't enter many contests because, you know, but um, I, I like contests that are kind of demo, have a kind of democratic feel to them, you know, where, where you have the sense that a lot of people with a lot of different ideas about poetry are going to enter. I mean, that's, to me... Um, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I have, obviously, I have certain ideas of what I expect in poetry, as I think we all do, but uh, not everyone shares those. And um, many of the contests, like um, those run by magazines like, I don't know, the Atlanta, Atlanta Review or something like that, tend to attract um, people who are... Uh, probably have a good sense of what that particular journal or that particular outlet looks like, whereas uh, something like the Poetry Superhighway seems to be more eclectic. And, you know, I I always find that kind of encouraging, not necessarily for myself, but just in terms of poetry in general. I think people need to uh, write and read a lot and work work their way into you know, what they think, you know, what works for them is poetry. And um, some t- some contests encourage that and some don't seem to. True, yeah. I think you're right on the eclectic nature of what we, uh, certainly what we published, you know, I publish in general. I think the idea behind Poetry Superhighway, uh, I, I shouldn't even preface that with I think, um, you know, our specific mission is to expose as many people to as many other people's poetry as possible. And in that, there are so many different poetry styles that we and sensibilities that we have published. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, occasionally, maybe once every couple years, someone will, you know, a crazy person will send an email saying, well, you only publish people from California, you know. Um, and, you know, and it's, well, you know, did you notice last week we published someone from Turkey and, you know, and the week before someone from Canada and the week before someone from Kansas? You know, it's just there's so much up there. I, I can't imagine uh, uh, we could be pigeonholed. So I, I think you're, you're right on with the eclectic nature of that. So thanks thanks for keying in on that, uh, Bill. Um, Lisette, how about you? Um, uh, your, your experience with last year's contest, do you enter in, in any many contests as well? And what prize did you get? I don't actually remember exactly what the cash prize was. Um, oh well, Ed, it's enough to say you got a cash prize. I think you you uh, the t- you got maybe an interview or or something. I'd have to I'd have to look, but uh, I know that the top know, three. Yeah, there was there was also publication in a in a I believe it was an online magazine that published in French. I think they did a translation of the winning poem. Yes, yes, they did. Um, MG version, I, yes. I think it was. 
That was very exciting. I mean, it was a good experience. I, I like Poetry Superhighway for, for many of the same reasons that um, Bill talked about. And I also think that it's friendly as far as uh, the way you, you divide the um, the prizes. It's just very democratic, and, and the entry fee is really friendly versus some of the other, like, big publications where it's kind of kind of a little more daunting when you have to put down like a $20 entry fee for one of your pieces. It's not really that realistic for, for everybody, I think. That's true. And, you know, I, 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 it does run the gambit with the number of poems that an individual poet might enter, enter into our contest. Uh, yeah, um, I guess the model that, that other contests use is, is there's a set entry fee and you can enter a specific number of poems with that entry fee, maybe it's ten, fifteen, or twenty dollars, and you can enter, I don't know, three to five poems or something. Um, with us, it's it's one dollar per poem, and you can enter one poem, or you can enter a, a hundred poems if you wanted. Yeah. Um, oh, please uh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't listen to this, Bill. Please do, and I'll just send them to Bill slowly, so he'll never know. Uh, but yeah, and some you know, I we um, we typically get people entering one to five poems, uh, but occasionally, you know, maybe a, maybe two or three people during the course of the contest might enter ten or twenty poems, you know. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's possible uh, that that uh, that could happen too. Okay, Maggie, your turn. Well, I'm going to spin right off of that and say I grew up in Kentucky with the Kentucky Derby, and I decided that after entering the contest with two to five poems for three or four years that I'd better play the odds, and I may be the record <laughs> because I sent eight, I sent 40 in last year, and I got third place. And how, also how did you from send a, in? I'm sorry. 40. You sent, you sent 40 poems into our contest last year. Yes. And I got a prize last year for the first time. So sometimes playing the odds is good. Also, I love the investment side of it because over the five or six years total that I have been entering your contest, when I finally won third place, I actually am a little bit ahead. I made money. It's kind of like buying a penny stock. And it's cool. <laughs> it's better odds and I than love the lottery, I that's for sure. Yeah, I love that I could pick anything. If I look like, like I think it was Bill said, you know, some journals, they only want sonnets or whatever. And I have a lot of crazy different stuff. So I did a lot of crazy different stuff. I played the odds in two ways, with numbers and with variety. And I love that you let us do that. I'm I'm glad that I'm inspiring love yes. in one way or another. All right, cool. Well, um, let me just uh, mention now that if anyone who is listening uh, live right now, which means that it's you're not listening to this in the archive. I know it gets confusing sometimes to some people who try to call into our shows when they're actually listening to an archive version. But if you ha if it happens to be uh, Sunday, July 28th, um, sometime between 2 and 3 p.m. Pacific, and you have a question for our judges, feel free to call in. The call-in number is 646-716-7362, and you can ask anything you want uh, related to entering the contest, I should say, to our three judges, and I'm sure they'll be happy to uh, answer it. And this is a really great opportunity, even if you don't call in, just the fact that you're listening, um, to really get some insights from th these three folks on what they um, are looking for when they read your poems. I don't know of any other contest in particular that that does that. So um, this is unique access for you, uh, um, which could only help you as you uh, as you decide to enter the contest. If you'd like, if you're if you're uh, too shy about calling in um, or anything like that, you can feel free to post a, con a question in the chat room uh, uh, on the Blog Talk Radio page or send me a message to uh, iChat or, or AIM, uh, or Facebook for that matter, um, Rick Poet, um, and I will uh, be more than happy to ask them the question on your behalf. All right, so I asked the three of you to um, pick a couple of poems to read, um, the first one being a poem by another poet that you particularly enjoy or think is a really great poem for, for one reason or another. So I'd love uh, to go through and have you guys uh, read that poem and also... Um, tell us why you picked that particular poem um, or uh, poet. So let's see. Lisette, I, I think it's uh, your turn to go first. Um, okay. I really kind of had trouble picking one poem because, I don't know, I just 
I love to read so many different things. And I found this one this morning, and I, I really kind of just jumped out at me, and I, I wanted to share it. It's Salutation by Ezra Pound. Okay. Okay. Oh, generation of the thoroughly smug and thoroughly uncomfortable. I have seen fishermen picnicking in the sun. I have seen them with untidy families. I have seen their smiles full of teeth and heard ungainly laughter. And I am happier than you are, and they were happier than I am. And the fish swim in the lake and do not even own clothing. Mm. Well, now I feel we need to start an organization to help buy clothes for naked fish. Um, but uh, that's that's really a project for another time, I guess. So, uh, I guess you know, the premise behind asking you guys to pick poems. I didn't I didn't tell this to you, uh, but it just occurred to me. Theoretically, the poem that you picked um, would be something that you would. Probably score a five to, um, in on our if it was entered into our contest. A, uh, you know, you can you can score the poems between zero and five using quarter point intervals. So, um, I, I didn't ask you that. Uh, so maybe that's not the case with the ones that you picked. But Lisette, is is that poem a five if you had received it in 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 from this contest? I would say so. I think it's there's something just in the simplicity and the the completeness of it and the images that it kind of leaves you with that that really speaks to me. So yeah, I, I would say I would score pretty pretty high. Okay, cool. And 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 so that that's why. Any other insight into why you picked that particular poem? Besides how cool it is. Like I, you know, I think some of it too is just timing, and you read a particular poem at a particular moment, and there's just something about it that that speaks to you. And for me, it was, you know, something about, you know, the kind of messiness of life and those little joyous moments that just kind of spoke to me today. Right. I love the idea, you know, sort of the the almost personification of the fish in that piece. Um, um, it, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Brodigan, but he wrote a book called Trout Fishing in America, which um, occasionally trout appear in, and, and they're almost like a character, or the trout stream itself is a character. So, you know, when when naked fish come along, I, I get very excited. So thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for reading that. Um, Maggie, what did you pick? I picked a poem called Facelift, and it's by a poet named Liesel Mueller, who's a German-American poet. And I I picked it because I went to my book of poetry books and her book stood out and I remembered reading two of her books and I like a lot of what she reads uh, writes so uh, this was random out of all of them and I like it so here it is facelift the woman who used to be my age is shopping for endive and bell shaped peppers her face has retracted sleepless nights denies any knowledge of pain. The black eyes given her by the death of someone she loved are gone. I look at her wondering how it feels to remember, under the skin of a 30-year-old, something that happened at 40. I wonder if she excites her husband in her new half-strangeness, or has betrayed him, removed their years together like the soiled part of a roller towel, yanked in the wrong direction. Her unused face reveals nothing. She moves ahead, her cart piled high with greens, and reaches for a bunch of jonquils, this year's first yellow, about to open. Hmm. Very nice. Um, you know, Maggie, you have a particular reading style, and I know, um, you know, I know you from 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 local, of course. And you're you're part of a performance group called the Razor Babes. I'm wondering if you you have any thoughts on uh, like how the actual reading of the poem uh, might affect the 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 perception of it. Well, for me, I picked this poem because I felt it read well for a very start. So, and I would give it a five because it could be performed to me. So I see the poetry in this as a story, but mm-hmm. it has music in it, it has it has rhythm, it has all the other essences of poetry, and it has metaphor and imagery. So yes, I, I do consider the performance aspect. And if, if it sounds bad when I read it out loud, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. 
That's that's a you know that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I, I certainly when I read poetry, I try to hear a voice reading it, you know, and imagine the the, the intended style. And of course, I I also find that the intended style that in which someone has written something may, may sound different, completely different, when someone else picks it up to read it out loud. I know I had an experience not too long ago where. Um, some of my poems were read out loud at a reading that I that, that happened in San Francisco that I wasn't able to be at, but I, I caught the video of it and and you know the choices that were made in the intonation of the words and and how it was spoken it still actually worked but it was there were definitely differences in in the way that I would choose to read it out loud so that's very interesting um, to to hear you say that do you, do you in 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 scoring this particular contest are are you reading the poems out out loud in a, in some way I almost always read poetry out loud when I'm reading it hmm. so yes that that's a part of the enjoyment sometimes I actually put it to music and sing it if it's really good Wow, that's, I can't that's write cool. music. In my head, I hear music. <laughs> well, that's good. I, that's a really good insight to people, you know, choosing to enter the the poems. They might consider, you know, if if you've never read your own poetry out loud before, maybe you should do that before you 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 enter the poems. Uh, you certainly will learn more about your your poetry and and how it sounds and how it flows, you know, based on on uh, all kinds of things. You know, where the line breaks are and are and where the natural pauses are and that kind of thing. So thanks for that, Maggie. Um, Bill, okay, your turn. What do you got? Yeah, I want to second that about, uh, you know, reading poems out loud. I think it, it is absolutely essential. And it, unfortunately, it can be very revealing in some ways. But uh, the poem that I chose is uh, probably a familiar one to a lot of the audience. It's uh, called Water, and it's by Robert Lowell. And it's the first poem in uh, For the Union Dead. And it's um, it's a poem that I, I chose because it's, it's rather simple in its addiction, but it has uh, two major leaps of imagination in it. And a leap of imagination is one of the things, things I always look for in a poem. Hmm. It was a Maine lobster town. Each morning, boatloads of hands pushed off for granite quarries on the islands, and left dozens of bleak white frame houses stuck like oyster shells on a hill of rock. And below us, the sea lapped the raw little matchstick mazes of a weir where the fish for bait were trapped. Remember? We sat on a slab of rock. From this distance in time, it seems the color of iris, rotting and turning purpler, but it was only the usual gray rock turning the usual green when drenched by the sea. The sea drenched the rock at our feet all day and kept tearing away flake after flake. One night you dreamed you were a mermaid clinging to a wharf pile and trying to pull off the barnacles with your hands. We wished our two souls might return like gulls to the rock. In the end, the water was too cold for us. Another mention of fish. Yeah, I you know I love the uh, in the middle of the poem when when the writer just says remember you know uh, perhaps speaking to someone in particular but in a way a question to anyone who might be reading it you know to kind of force them to try to remember whatever this experience was uh, re- regardless of whether they actually experienced it. It's a it's a um, cool way to bring people into the poem. Like, of course I remember that. And it's a way to introduce the shift in, in time dimension. Hmm. Uh, so is that a is that a five pointer? Oh yes. <laughs> well, uh, Bill, you mentioned you're a, a teacher. Uh, what, what do you teach poetry and writing? Yes. Great to um to undergrads, grads, or. Oh, undergraduates. I'm not a big fan of MFA programs. Well, who is? And I'd prefer that people just went out and wrote on on their own. I, you know, I just uh, I jokingly said who is, but then remember, Lisette is is uh, getting her MFA, so perhaps perhaps the answer to that question is Lisette is a big. I'm going to have you guys arm wrestle at the end of the show to settle this. By the way. Um, 
Um, so before we get to the, – the next thing I'm going to have you guys do is read one of your own poems, but I, uh, someone has just called in, and I, I want to uh, uh, not have people stay on hold too long. So uh, do we have a caller from the 516 area code on the line? Yes. Um, who am I talking to? Stan Barkin of Varick, New York. Hi, Stan. Uh, do you have a, uh, a question for our judges? No, you know, I've never called in before because I'm always uh, tied up on a Sunday, but I just finished a little bit of editing, and uh, I saw the email from Rick. So I uh, plugged, I, uh, I opened it, and I thought I'd listen in. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm a <laughs> I've never done this before. So I don't know. Would you like me to read a poem or whatever? Uh, I don't no, know. actually, Stan. I'm sorry. This uh, uh, this particular show is not an open reading. This is um, this is our my conversation with the three poetry contest judges. Our open reading um, happened a couple weeks ago, and the next one will be August 11th. So um, I'd love for you to call in and share a poem uh, during our next open reading. Um, and people are welcome to call into this show if they have any questions for our. Uh, Judges. So there you go. Hope to talk to you uh, next time, Stan. Um, and do me a favor, folks, if you're listening and uh, you, you shouldn't call in just to listen, uh, please listen in on your uh, computer because if you call in, I will see that someone has called in and I will assume, as I just did, that uh, you would like to uh, ask a question to our judges. All right. So moving on, um, the next thing I asked you guys to do was to read one of your own poems, and so I, I guess uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you if, it was, if it's a five-point poem, uh, but um, I will uh, ask you to uh, to um, let me know uh, why you picked this particular poem to share as an example of your own work in the context of you being uh, a judge here on a, on a, in our contest. So uh, let's see. Um, Maggie, how about uh, you go first this time? Okay, well, the reason I picked this one is that it sort of summarizes what I like about poetry, and it's the style that I enjoy. So uh, it's it's not got a title, but it came because I was reading Lawrence Ferlinghetti's Poetry as Insurgent Art, and there was a line that really made me want to write something, which says, Making poetry out of the urgent insurgent now. <laughs> Forget about classics molded molds do your own version real cantos written as shit happens from can-do position use your image imagined or sight seen through racing goggle telescope obscura camera take notes as you travel capsulated in space past tsunamis of storm surge wherever you find sound drumming inside you Stop. Listen. Take up enough air to submerge in the nowness as long as it takes to rebel against rules, barring breath-holding. Swim through pollution. Pop out of the sewer pipe. Tell all those suits not what suits them, but what is down there in the subways, rising in wildfire smoke. Send smoke signals now before it's too late. I'm setting a fire right here, uh, <laughs> just in case. Um, so why why did you pick that poem, Charles? Great piece, by the way. Say something. Say that again. Why did you? Great piece, by the way. And why did you pick that particular poem, Charles? Because I, I really like poetry that is new unique and that has a, something to say and not just repeating something supposedly sounding like poetry and mm. I want people to talk what they know and not something that isn't in their own voice so to me this is about saying what you have to say in your own voice but with nice metaphors and and sort of saying it slant like Emily Dickinson said but don't avoid bad topics. You know, some of the stuff you talk about could be, you know, four-letter words, but that's okay with me. <laughs> tell me what you say mean it by, like it is. Tell me what you mean <laughs> Stay specifically. In the tell you. Tell me what you mean specifically by um, poetry that 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 sounds like poetry or writing that something. What did you mean by well, that? Well, people go.
go to workshops and they read something and you're asked in the workshop to write a poem that's like Whitman and then everybody does it. I want people to start inside their own brains and inside their own hearts and write what they want to say and not what they think they might have said if they were Whitman. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Find your own voice and not write what you think you're supposed to write. Okay, cool. Um, Let's see. Um, Lisette, how about you? Let's hear one of your poems. Uh, Okay. This one is called uh, A Man's Hands. Of my grandfather, what I remember most clearly are his hands, calloused and robe veins. Who knows when I last held his hands? My mother picked out the linen guayabera he wore. She tucked the carnation between it and the stacked arrangement of his hands. When his wife died ten months earlier, he was dwarfed by grief. Putting machete to roots, he was soothed only by the work of his hands. I imagined his sorrow to be the color of wet earth the stain of loss impossible to separate from the spotted skin of his hands. The avocado tree he gave me cast a long shadow across the yard. Fruitless again, it was cultivated from a cracked seed by his hands. How does a man harvest nine decades worth of suffering, yet his joys, like polished seeds, fit in the palm of his hands? Lisette, my grandfather used to tell me, never have children. Advice stirred by a daughter, uttered with his head. Hmm. Do you have children? I do, indeed. <laughs> well, uh, is is so, he still alive? I, I didn't exactly. No, he's not. He passed away uh, last year. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I, I assume he he was. Did he did he get to meet your your kids? He did. He he was able to meet and know all four of them. <laughs> he didn't shake his finger but, at you. I told you not to do this. He he consistently did actually. He said, "Don't don't do it again." <laughs> but you know, it's it's kind of a funny, but yeah, it's just you know, it was it was an advice that he gave, you know, with the best intentions and not not meaning anything terrible, but just from from his experience, he was speaking from his experience. I can, you know, I have a kid of my own, and I can, I can, I can wholeheartedly say, don't ever have a kid. But man, he's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, why'd you why'd you pick that poem to read for us? Um, I don't know. It's just something that I had that I felt that I, I I put a lot of myself into, and it was complete, and it felt like it was, you know, ready. I don't, I don't normally, I'm not, I don't normally read my poetry out loud. I don't perform, so. Hmm. Uh, it was just something that I felt that I, I, I could share and that was an example of, of kind of some of the work that I do. Awesome. So you don't participate in poetry readings uh, in in, your, I, in Florida? I don't generally just because I'm a little uh, people shy. <laughs> I have a touch of social anxiety, so for me to get out there and, and in front of a group of people is, is, is hard. <laughs> There you go. Well, you know, it's uh, I I I probably was the same way as you when I first started reading poetry in front of people, and um, it just because of doing that on a very consistent basis, I found uh, my confidence level has soared uh, much further than it deserves to, <laughs> really. But um, it's I think it's a very it, at least it's it, you know you'll get more used to it if you if you keep doing. It. And I always recommend that people doing it not just to build your own confidence level. But you you develop a, a you know a cadre of poets who you who you know in person, and I think as we we kind of implied earlier when we were talking with Maggie about reading um, reading poetry out loud, um, you become more familiar with your own own poems. And I, I think Bill, you also said that you know the, you might it might not work out so well when you hear it out loud, and you you know you might that might inform some changes that you need to make as a, as a result of it. So um, it's it's a good thing to do. So I definitely recommend doing it. Um, more than you do now, Lucette, which apparently is not at all. Um, I will work on that. <laughs> okay. Um, Bill, how about your poem? All right. This is a poem called The Mushroom Collectors. A tree falls. A turtle creeps to the river to lay its eggs. A chainsaw severs the distance, then folds it like laundry. The light compromises to accommodate the voices of mushroom collectors plucking through the muddy woods. I hope I can evade the briars 
that despite their freight of berries, want to crown me with my heresies. The storm encouraged both mushroom and chainsaw, the river rising to weaken roots, then receding with a cargo of brackish mold. The mushroom collectors themselves are fungus drab in saddle clothes, a family of four generations muttering in a language only that their closest relatives can follow. Caught in the corners of their eyes, I'm small enough to place among the mushrooms in their baskets. I don't know what varieties they pick, don't want to get close enough to hear the little fruit scream when ripped free of the mothering psyllium. Another tree falls. Whoever wields that chainsaw must be gloating. Overhead, an airliner bound for Chicago zippers the blue. I hope I'll never fly again. The groundwork in this damp forest, difficult enough to organize. That lone turtle laying eggs enough to evolve and refresh the world. Hmm. It's quite a burden that turtle has. Yeah. Um, Bill, why'd you pick that poem? Uh, I think I identify with the turtle. <laughs> do you do you do you, do you feel the burden of that responsibility of, of of laying all those eggs? Well, you know, I mean, this is a poem about, I guess, the way we abuse the world and try to live in it at the same time. And uh, well, I don't know. It's um, yeah, yeah. I think in recent years I've come more and more to feel that we occupy too much space on this planet. You may be right. Uh, you know, I um, I'll never forget though uh, listening to our radio host um, uh, trying to uh, comment on on the homeless problem by telling us about how he flies across the country. Um, you know, frequently and looks out the window and sees nothing but uh, unpopulated space, and uh, and suggesting that as a as a fix for for it. Uh, there we there there are certainly some very dense areas of of uh, people uh, in in the world, but there's a lot of space in it in it too, I suppose. Yeah, no way to make a living in those empty spaces, unfortunately. True. True. Um, well, Bill, thank you for sharing that poem. Thanks, everyone, uh, for sharing your poems. Um, uh, someone just typed a question in the uh, in the chat room, just a kind of uh, maybe more of a comment uh, 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 on what we've talked about so far, in particular earlier when we were talking about the more modern po poetry sensibilities. So let me just read this to you guys, and if you have any comments on it, feel free to chime in. So it says, so many poets seem to be so focused on creating a cacophony of modern loose poetry that I wonder if sometimes rhyme, meter, alliteration, and other poetic devices are underappreciated. What do you guys think? I, for one, really do appreciate those poetic devices when they're not forced. And I think uh, that some modern poetry is overly cacophonous. <laughs> there you well, go. Well, I work very hard to write my poetry and. I don't write free verse, I write accentual verse. And I use a lot of internal rhyme and alliteration and consonants. And I notice that very few readers ever notice that. And that's the sign of a good poem, that you do it and they don't pick it out and say, oh, that's an example of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if it's not obvious heavy end rhyme, there are certain <laughs> readers who don't seem to understand that there are other things that can happen in poetry. Mm -hmm. If they if people equate rhyme with poetry, they're missing you know about ninety nine percent of all the poetry that's ever been written. Mm -hmm. But we're back yeah. to my up about sound. If it sounds good, it's sometimes because there's an internal rhyme. True. Do you um, do you uh, and the, the commenter uh, says that you have ex you you have outstanding points. Uh, so um, uh, well done, guys. Uh, Lisette, do you have any comments on that? Um, probably not anything that's already been covered. <laughs> I think I think stuff like you know people kind of look down to the, the rhymes as you know not 
necessarily serving the poem as well as it could, but I think if it's done well, it does bring a certain musicality to the poem that, that kind of makes it stand out. Yeah, I agree. And I, I certainly agree with the earlier point that, that you know, if it's or the whole idea of it's done well, which which is almost uh, not necessary to say, but, you know, sometimes I think what... Um, uh, you know, when I, uh, you know, I see a lot of poetry coming in submitted for Poetry Superhighway, and and some of it is rhyming, and and the ones that that I think aren't necessarily so great is is when the rhyme scheme is so obvious. You know, it seems to me the difficult uh, writing a, a rhyme poem or a, a poem with a particular rhythm and form um, is your you, you run the danger of um, allowing. The rules define what it is that you write more so than what you're trying to write. You know, um, it's 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 easier to find the wrong words to fit the rules than than to find, you know, to to write a piece in that in that style which uh, uh, which is which is excellent and which really works uh, without sounding too obvious. I think. Um, all right, so so listen, let's move on. Uh, we, we've got about ten minutes left, and I really want to get into some some nitty gritty of. Um, of of what you're looking for in the poems that that have been entered. So you've all um you've received about 30 entries so far. Um I don't know if you've all read all of them uh so far, but do you have any comments on anything that you've you've seen so far? Um uh, uh Lisette, I guess it's your turn to go first. Uh, <laughs> um not to be nitpicky, but I I do like when people kind of put a lot of thought into not just the details of the poem itself and and the ideas and the and the line breaks, but really um, punctuation kind of makes a huge difference for me and spelling and just as far as it kind of it creates this like jarring response in you when you're trying to really kind of get into the rhythm of the poem. So I mean, for anybody submitting, just make sure you just kind of take care and and go through and make sure that it's complete. I mean, it'll it'll benefit you, I think. Yeah, that's interesting, and, and and something that I guess you guys could speak to as well. If if there's an obvious typo or punctuation um, error, and, and maybe there's only a, only one of those, you know, does that affect your scoring of the poem, or do, or do you personally uh, let it slide if it's an it's an excellent poem or, or something of that nature? Do you have, do you have a quick answer for that, Alisette, Before we get to the other two. Um, if it's an excellent poem, a minor typo is not going to make a huge difference. But when your poem has kind of multiple errors, it, it does affect, I think, the overall impression. Makes sense. And I would like to point out to anyone considering uh, listening that I pass the poems on to the judges um, exactly the way that you you send them. There's no editing of your poems before it, it gets them. So what you what you send is what they see. Um, so good, good to know. Okay, uh, Bill, how about you? Well, I can't. You know, I don't want to comment on any, any specific poems. I certainly second what Lisa says. You know that uh, paying attention to seemingly small matters does matter. Uh, but you know, I'd like to. I, I like to see poems that have, use language in an imaginative way, and poetry is supposed to refresh the language. And when I see cliches in a poem or stale, simple ideas that I've heard a million times, even if even if this you know the, there's this sort of heartfelt emotion behind it, I'm kind of put off. I mean, the job the job of poetry is not to emote, but to to do something really interesting with language. I mean, it's an artwork made out of words, and it has to be treated as such. Hmm. And you know, I want to see strong, strong images that lend themselves to you know to being read as strong metaphors, and poetry that has a lot of kind of banal, abstract language in it, you know, isn't isn't going to get much of a score from me. Yeah. Got it. Um, it. You're sort of we're we're looking ahead to the 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 next question, which which is going to be you know what are you what are you looking for outside of. Uh, what you've seen in general, what are you looking for uh, for poetry? But let me give Maggie a chance to answer the the initial question there. Any any comments or reactions to what you've read so far? And obviously, I don't want you to comment on specific poems that you that you've that you've seen uh, specifically. But but go ahead. 
I'll sort of go along with some of the things that, that both of the others have said, but I think the thing that makes me make a quick cut is when the poem hasn't been apparently self-edited. And by this I mean there are words that are not necessary sprinkled all around. There are verbs that could be active verbs, and they use the ing version. Um, I like a tight poem that knows where it begins and ends. And sometimes people have a wonderful poem in the middle of an unedited poem, and they start with something that's boring and they end with nothing. <laughs> and I have a little metaphor of my own. I want a poem that bubbles like a brook, flows like a river, and knows when it's reached the sea. That's awesome. Well done. All right. So that uh, you know, actually, before, let's see if we get, have one more caller on the air. Let's see if they have a question for you guys. Hello, um, hello, four zero eight area code. Anybody there? Four zero eight. Hey, Rick. Yeah, it's hi. Mary Who am I talking to? It's, it's Mary Easton from San Jose. Can you hear me? I can, Mary. How you doing? I'm great. Do you, do you I, have a question realize, for our judges? I realize you guys are running out of time, so here's my quick question. Um, oh, gosh, I'm listening. And, uh, how are they going to, since there's three of them, how are they? How will they decide which ones are the winners? Is that is that coming through Okay. Yeah, you know, it's 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 not exactly uh I, just to clarify and maybe I'm getting your question wrong here, but they don't as individuals decide who wins. They score the poems separate from each other without knowing what the other person has scored and then I tally the the highest scoring poems rise to the top. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Okay. Then okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I never knew that. And and you guys, congratulations. I was like eighth place or something, but congrats to all three of you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Congrats. Bye. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Mary uh, Kennedy Easton, for calling calling in, and congratulations on your eighth eighth place win. All right. So with just a few minutes that we have left, if you guys have any like general comments about what you're looking for in the poems that you read, any and any particular advice, I guess, to the people choosing to enter the contest, what uh, what would that be? I have no idea whose turn it is to go first. Um, <laughs> let's go alphabetically uh, by first name, Bill. First of all, no cliches. Yeah. If you don't know what a cliche is, you haven't read enough. I said what Maggie, I think it was Maggie said about the beginnings and the endings of poems is uh, really important. I see this in students all the time, that they sit down to write a poem, and for the first few lines or even a whole stanza, if, it's, if that's the way the poem is constructed, they're just their mind is just sort of idling. Then the poem really begins. Then it ends, but then they go on for a few more lines. <laughs> so look to see if you can trim the beginning and the end of your poem. Or if not trim them, make them stronger, especially the beginning. You know, that's often the weakest part of, of, what, of, of, of the poem. But for heaven's sakes, go through and look at your adverbs and adjectives and ask if you really need those ad adverbs and adjectives and if you do need them, are they the most interesting ones and the most vital ones that you can come up with? Makes sense. Don't let your poem float out to sea, uh, uh, you implied in one of your comments there. Um, Lisette, how about you? Um, I would also suggest to, to pay close attention to your line breaks uh, instead of just kind of arbitrary, random line breaks. You know, put some thought into the image that you want to leave the reader with. And like Bill said, I, I like fresh language. Cut back on abstract ideas and give me something concrete that I can, like, bite into. Well done. Well stated. Uh, Maggie, how about you? I think something that hasn't been said is that, that humorous poem is really a fun thing to read, but in this contest, I'm looking for something more than simple humor. And if it's a funny poem, it has to be exceptionally well done. Get a good score, if you know what I mean. It has to have intellectual content and metaphor and imagery, and not just silly words like a limerick. Great. Well, um, we just have about a minute left, so I think I just have time to um, thank you guys so much for joining uh, me taking time out of your day to uh, share these insights and to speak with me on the show. Um, any final words from anybody? Good luck. <laughs> yes. Read a lot. I, 
That's that's really the the best advice I give to any I think for any poet. You know, if you're going to write poetry, you better read a lot of poetry and you better write a lot of poetry. You know, it's it's the only way to to to, to do it. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thanks so much to um, uh, Maggie Westland from Thousand Oaks, California, Bill Doresky, um, or uh, William if you're greeting him from afar from Peterborough, New Hampshire, and uh, Lisette Alonzo from uh, from uh, Florida. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, uh, if you're considering entering the contest, just go to poetrysuperhighway.com uh, and uh, and a slash PSH, and all the guidelines are there. Everyone gets a prize just for entering, and just might and you just might win uh, uh, first, second, or third place and get a cash prize as well. Uh, good luck, everyone, and thanks so much for joining me, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.